your whole life can be in service of healing. And that was like a huge shift for me to realize my whole life could be in service of healing. Not meaning like your whole life has to be about you or you have to be in therapy every day, et cetera, et cetera, but all the little choices you make in your day. So are you gonna make the choice of taking the subway home or maybe walking the extra 30 minutes because walking outside and being in nature is gonna help kind of recenter you, reground you and help you clear your mind after a busy day. Are you gonna choose to turn on the TV when you get home because that might be one of your ways of numbing out? Or would you call up someone you love and try to feel less alone and more connected? So I think what I'm trying to say is that when we attune ourselves to healing, it doesn't, it's not compartmentalized to being like, oh, I'm just gonna go to therapy once or twice a week and those are the hours that I'll focus on healing. Your whole life can be in service of your healing if you wanna step up to it. That was Julia Hanlon, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 100. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing, telling the truth about our lives. Even if it's confusing or messy, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, even if we're embarrassed about it, we tell the truth. No one's trying to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. You won't find any 10-day, six-step life hacking plans for anything. I'm totally over that approach, and I bet you are too. Life is complicated and messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, which, warning, often means we use adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads, you won't hear any sponsor promotions. This show is 100% listener-funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. If you're already supporting the show, thank you. You're the best, and I'm so ridiculously grateful that you're helping me to bring more real talk and honesty into the world. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. But first, let's talk about beliefs. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a truly diverse group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. As a thank you, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our virtual book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series, and you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live, the small, fun, in-person event series that kicks off in London in early August. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. 
Your support means everything to me. It truly does. And it's what will allow me to continue making new episodes for you as we join together to build a kinder, more open, and more truth-filled world. And now, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Julia Hanlon. Julia is passionate about asking questions that explore the mind, body, and spirit connection. This has led her to pursue yoga, running, and podcasting over the years. Having discovered yoga at the age of 16 and eventually becoming a 500-hour yoga teacher at the age of 20. Julia's passion for storytelling led her to create the Running on Ohm podcast that features over 200 interviews with a diverse group of wellness innovators. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you'll remember Julia from when she interviewed me for my five-year soberversary bonus episode back in May of 2016. You might have also listened to the Real Talk Reflections series that she and I did on her podcast, Running on Ohm, last year before she wrapped up the show to move on to other things like teaching yoga full-time. It's such a treat to have Julia back today, especially with all the emails that I get asking, how's Julia? We miss Julia. So don't worry, Julia is here. And in this episode, she shares all the details of why she quit both her podcast and social media, how she follows her intuition, even if other people don't understand or agree with her choices, why she values privacy and in-person connection over social media and internet community, and how she has given herself permission to heal. I hope you love hearing from Julia as much as I enjoyed catching up with her for my 100th episode. Also, wow, 100 episodes. Thank you so much for listening and for helping to just build this Real Talk movement with me. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Julia, finally, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm so excited and nervous and honored and everything at the same time. All the feels. Uh, me too, all the feels. This is my 100th episode and I could not think of anyone better to have as a guest. So I'm very excited. Wow, that's amazing, Nicole. Congratulations on 100. That's huge. Thanks. I remember when we recorded, was it your 200th episode for your podcast together? Yes, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) Hundreds and hundreds of hours of talking about stuff that goes live on the internet. I love it. Um, So set the scene a little bit. Where are you? Where are you sitting? What are you looking at? What are you drinking? What's described to me your little world? right now. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I am at my home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm from Cambridge, Massachusetts originally. And I have over the past couple of years, I had the joy of living near you and Bend and I've lived in a couple of different places, but I'm now back. Um, not my childhood house, my, in my apartment who I have a lovely roommate who's actually, her name's Nicole too, which is so cool. And both of you are like the coolest people. Um, <laughs> and I am sitting in front of my computer and I have a glass of water with electrolytes in it. Um, I teach a lot of yoga these days and some of the yoga I teach is in, in a heated classroom. So although I don't do the yoga when I teach the yoga, I still will sweat. So I just make sure to keep on top of my hydration. So that's kind of what's up. And it's just a beautiful summer day in Cambridge and the city's empty because it's around the holiday time. So I'm just loving it. That's awesome. Do you have an electrolyte brand of choice these days? I do. I do. Um, Ultima, U-L-T-I-M-A. And the cherry pomegranate flavor is so bomb. And I'm not really a cherry flavored person, but it's really good. 
Uh, yeah, that sounds delicious. I'm thinking of uh, electrolyte options to potentially bring on long hikes. And I've been using whatever noon or none, however you pronounce it, those tablets, but I'm interested in trying other things. So always looking for options. Yeah, I used to be a noon girl and then I discovered Ultima and never going back. Tell me something that most people don't know about you. What do you think is something mm. that people would be surprised to learn? Yeah, um, that Spanish was my first language. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, tell me that about that. Yeah, so my mom um, was born in Ecuador, and her parents are originally from the former Yugoslavia, which is Croatia and Montenegro, but she was raised in Ecuador, and she came to the United States for college, and um, when she came to the States, she ended up meeting my dad, who's Irish-American, and they had my brother and I, and my mom spoke Spanish to us when we were babies. And I think around the time when I was four years old, we stopped speaking Spanish because my dad felt really excluded because he couldn't speak Spanish. So we, yeah, my first couple years of my life, I spoke Spanish more than English. Do you still speak it or have you lost it? So I, I lost it during childhood and then I studied it in high school. Um, and I was not really great at it. I mean, I'm conversationally, I can understand a lot, but I'm by no means fluent nor grammatically fluent. But my grandmother... Um, is passed away a year and a half ago, but she didn't speak any English actually. So I would speak Spanish with her. Um, so that's, yeah. So I would say I can, I can, I can hold on a conversation. I don't know how I would feel if this podcast interview was in Spanish though. <laughs> I mean, listen, there would be none because I would not be in it. So <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. See there, there you go. Something I did not know about you. How do you feel like that changed you or shaped you or influenced you, um, having, uh, a parent, from not, you know, not from the U.S.? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. Um, I think it influenced me in so many ways. My mom, because English is my mom's third language, and when she came to the U.S., she just experienced actually a lot of racism. And when she was a young mother, she had me when she was fairly young, and um, people would always think she was my nanny because she doesn't look like me. And so I think it always just gave me, like, an understanding of what it feels like to be more, maybe more other because I, you know, as a Caucasian female with blonde hair and blue eyes, like, I have it pretty easy in the United States. And I don't think my mom had it easy. And especially learning English in her t early 20s, she didn't have it easy. So I think that's given me a lot of compassion for people who immig immigrate to this country, for sure. And then I have a lot of family abroad. Um, I have a lot of family in Croatia, I have family in Ecuador. And I think having just like a really multicultural family with a lot of different cultures and all my grandparents had less than sixth grade educations and worked their asses off to get where they were. Um, so I think that kind of like hard work ethic, that grittiness, I also feel like I embody. Um, it's kind of passed down. So a lot of ways. Yeah, I love that. So the last time that we recorded together, it was for your podcast, Running on Ohm, right before you wrap things up, right? Is that, am I remembering that yeah. correctly? Okay. Yes, that feels like many moons ago. I know, it was <laughs> many moons ago. So, I mean, I want to dig into that, of course, but just to give a little background information, maybe can you share the story of when and why you first started your podcast? Yeah, totally. Um, so I was a going into my senior year of college, and I went to a small school in Maine called Bates College. And I remember it was actually I was on a run in Cambridge over the summer. 
And I was thinking about how much I loved podcasts because I was like a total podcast junkie. I loved listening to Rich Rolls and all these different endurance related ones and spirituality related ones. And I was like, you want to know what? I want to start my own podcast. And the kind of, you know, those ideas kind of pass in and out of your mind when you're running, when you're in the flow state. And I came home and I opened up the door and I told my mom and I was so pumped. I was like, mom, I'm going to start my own podcast. And she just kind of laughed at me. She was like, Julia, you don't need to do anything more than you already do. You're always taking on too much. (laughs) And and I was like, no, I really want to do this. And so I decided that I was going to just start to reach out to people whose work somehow embodied the intersection of the mind, body, spirit connection. Because for me, that's what I've like devoted my life to what I'm passionate about. So I, yeah, my senior year of college, I just started doing similar to what we're doing now. I did a lot of Skype interviews. Um, I would write emails to different people who I was interested in. It was pretty much like an excuse to just have awesome conversations. Yeah, Yeah. I, uh, I totally hear you. It's I always tell people it's like the secret weapon for making friends with cool people. Like I'm always shocked when it's like, it's different when it's, you know, a friend of a friend or an introduction or, you know, that kind of thing, which is, of course, always lovely. But when you like straight up reach out to someone like, off the internet, like complete cold invitation, and they say yes to giving you two hours of their time, I'm always like, what is this like secret thing that I've tapped into that this incredible person like, was gonna talk to me for two hours? It's incredible. I mean, it changed my life. Like, it also has made me just realize like how the generosity of like of human beings and how generous people have been with me with their time. Like I had a podcast listener reach, reach out to me who's become a friend of mine who ended up coming to stay with me in Boston. And that was so much fun. Um, but it just, I was like the only, what I feel like I have to do at this point is just pass it on. People have been so incredibly generous with me, including mm-hmm. yourself of like sharing your life and your stories. And so the podcast just developed. I did it for three years and the second year I started to do only in-person interviews because I found I really enjoyed the in-person interview a lot more. I felt like I could really connect to the person more. I also um, invested in higher audio equipment, got more into the editing production side. And so then, but this past September is when I decided to wrap it up. So what was your favorite thing? Um, I mean, like you said, other than just the excuse to have these amazing conversations, what was your favorite thing about podcasting? Like, why were you well suited for it? What did you love most about it? Mm. I loved how it was a training for my brain. I felt like I had to train my brain to listen in a different way. I'm someone who loves asking questions. But a really powerful part about it, which we actually think talked about in a Real Talks Reflections episode, was when I was listening, I couldn't really have an agenda or my agenda. And I had to just receive the people's words and let their response guide the next question. So it totally retrained my brain and how I listen to people. Mm. Whereas oftentimes we can listen to one another and be have our own agenda of what we want to say in response. But it was just learning how to really receive people and receive the weight of their words in real time and be entrusting that like a response from me will come out as it should. Maybe it will be a little messy. Maybe it will be graceful. Who knows, but it will come out in the way that it's meant to. It was just a real practice in trusting. Yeah. I love that. I feel like it's funny. So I just recently started do, I did a little like AMA ask me anything with the the Patreon community and have been recording audios to answer their questions. And there were a couple of questions about sort of my podcast process and like how I choose guests and how I prepare for the episodes, which no one had ever really asked me before. So it was fun to kind of talk through that process and what you're speaking to is something that is always an interesting balance of like being 
prepared, right? And knowing some ways that I do want it to go, because it's obviously my responsibility to hold space for the conversation, right? And ask questions, but also, like you said, being able to actively listen, be fine if it goes in a totally different direction, be able to, you know, have a real conversation and not just like a scripted, you know, question, answer, question, answer, that it's always an interesting dance to, like you said, like trust yourself to, like they'll say something and then I'll say something back. That's how conversations work. Like to not be such a control freak about it, you know? Yes, yes, totally. And we've discussed this, but to also not be such a perfectionist about it. It's like we can't control the podcast conversation is going to be awesome or horrible. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And sometimes it totally surprises you in any direction. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just a mirror for me like life. That's how life is every day. It's like you can't wake up knowing that like today is going to be awesome or horrible. It's just going to be. Mm-hmm. What did you find most challenging about the podcast? I think I found the um, editing part of it most challenging. Although I wasn't editing the content of it, I did a lot of like mixing and sound levels. And at times I would take out pauses or breaks in the conversations. And I really am not someone who likes being at my computer. And I just found it really soul draining, honestly, to be because like for every podcast, maybe I would take five hours editing it but then I would maybe spend a five additional hours producing it and preparing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes into something else that, you know, I wanted to kind of get your input on sort of the myths and misconceptions, right? Like we listen to a thing, whether it's a half hour, an hour, two hour podcast, right? That it's this like fully formed thing. Same thing with like reading a book or a blog post. And it's like, of course, we know that a lot of work went into it, but it's sometimes easy to not understand the process. So what do you think is something that I don't know, folks might not know or understand about like the process of doing an interview-based podcast. Mm, Yeah, that's such a cool question. I think of maybe how hard it is to get the people, even though people are really generous with their time, how hard it is to sometimes reach out to people and to get people to write back to you. Um, I feel like I probably sent hundreds of emails and only maybe a fifth of them were ever replied back to you responded to. Wow. So I think people don't always realize like you might have these really cool guests on your podcast, but you might have also emailed them 10 times, which I also did at some points. And you know, but it's also persistence in a graceful way, not in the there's I think there's a way of being persistent without being um too maybe fierce. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I don't think people realize like how that part of it is really challenging. It's it's like, well, Rich Roll has, I know I keep on talking about Rich, but he was like my first podcast kind of mentor. It's like, he has these phenomenal people, but I know without a doubt, it's taken him like years to line up with some of these people. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And the timing to align. The, like the inherent rejection part of it, right? Mm. And having to get to the place where you're like, it's fine if someone says no. Like, it doesn't mean anything about me as a person. If for any number of reasons, this person either doesn't respond or doesn't want to be on the show, right? Like, that's fine. It doesn't mean, like, don't ask anyway. And, of course, that sounds like, of course, like, it's like a duh thing. But sometimes it's interesting, like, how our egos get in the way. For me, it's been one of the more challenging things has been that, like, trying to get out of my own way and sort of remembering it's not, this is not about me. Like it's my show, but like anytime, like what you were saying before about the act of listening and not trying to have like the perfect question or like if I'm overly concerned with how I sound or what I'm saying, or was that the best response I could? Okay. Well, it's not about me. So like step back. Right. And like continuing to, I don't know, like not obsess about yourself in in the podcast. And people, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why people are so connected to you, Nicole, is because you, I mean, your name of your podcast is real talk, but like you do speak so honestly 
with a lot of humor and you sometimes make mistakes when you speak and you own up to it and you have fun when you speak. And so it's like people feel like they're in the room with you and that you're a real human being. I think sometimes when I listen to podcasts or interviews with people and they're being stoic or it feels like so prepared and so polished, it doesn't feel as human. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I feel the same way about you. We're like mutual fangirls of each other's work. So that works out well. Um, so it's been a while now since wrapping up the podcast of the 200 plus, you know, conversations that you had, interviews that you did, what's stuck with you the most? Like, were there any that were really super impactful or like when you think back on that time, what are some of the like lessons either that you learned through doing it or things that specific guests said? What tends to stay with you? Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I'll have like little random things that have sticked with me in different people's random tidbits. But I think um, our conversations in my ongoing series with Lauren Fleshman were really impactful for me because I got to check in with you guys, you know, on a monthly basis. And we got to develop real like a real long term conversation. So both of those series to me, I, I feel like, yeah, we're just the, the things I maybe I'm most proud of from the podcast. Um, but there's a couple conversations that, that I, I haven't listened to the podcast actually since I, I've retired. <laughs> so, but I'm some, I'm like, maybe someday I'll want to go back and listen to it. I, Nikki Myers, who is just an amazing yoga teacher and, um, she leads a program yoga for 12 step recovery. Her conversation was just so powerful and passionate. Um, and I think about some of her words every day. Yeah, hers was one of my favorites of yours. She's, I'll put a link to it in the show notes for sure. She's incredible. (laughs) Her, like just the way that she kind of owns all of herself, like the parts that are maybe messier that other people would think are shameful. That was what I took from that episode. Like, oh, you can be this and this and this, you know, she was great. Yeah, but I think just like an underlying theme I learned from a lot of, a lot of people, including yourself is like, there's a lot of hard work in doing what you love. And so we might see the finished product of a podcast or of a movie or of a music album or of someone's race where they, you know, run a world record or American record, but like there's so much hard work that goes into it and so much love and passion. And that was like the through line for me with all the different incredible minds and people I saw is that like they had been preparing for what they did their entire life, whether or not they realized it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also that can be just reassuring too, like, oh yeah, stuff takes time, right? Like it's not an overnight situation. Totally. And even like you, I mean, I know you worked at like Williams Sonoma and like that was kind of a random job or like you working as a camp camp director, all these things have like led you to now. Yeah. Isn't that funny how like things sort of make sense in retrospect, or I guess we like do a good job of like putting them into a story that makes sense, but yeah, everyone's on some kind of winding path somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So tell me about your decision to wrap up the podcast, like something that was seemingly doing so well that so many people loved. Um, what led you to that decision? Yeah, um, it had been simmering for a while, as you know, as one of my close friends. I've spoken with you off air about it for a while, but it was, I'd say, two main things. One was the aspect of the podcast, which was like the editing and the audio and all the computer work was the majority of the work. There was very, you know, the interview was when I got to meet with a person were an hour or two hours in time. Um, And it did feel really incredible to know that these conversations were impacting people. But for me, I'm not someone who loves the online world as much. And the community that I was building was an online community. 
and I wasn't seeing the people. I wasn't being able to have them over for dinner, talk about the conversations, really get to feel like feel the impact of the work that I was doing. And it left me feeling really empty, honestly. Um, and I would just dread working on the podcast and working on my computer by myself. I think if I was maybe like doing this project with someone else, and I, maybe that was also why when we got to collaborate, it was so fun that if I was creating the podcast with someone else, it probably would have still be going, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but being, doing it all by myself was really intense. And it also didn't allow me because I spent so much time on it anywhere, you know, up, upwards of 40 hours a week doing it by myself. I didn't have time to put that time towards other jobs or other passionate things that I was passionate about. And I thought I wanted to go back to grad school. And so that was like my main reason for wrapping up the podcast was like, I'm going to go back to school or I need to apply to school. I'm going to go back to school. This is a natural time for me to kind of enter a new chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's funny, the things that we love about something and then the things that wind up not being a good fit. And like that balance has to make sense. Like hearing you talk about the editing stuff, that's, I mean, I couldn't be less interested in doing any of that. Like I wouldn't do this podcast if I had to do all of that, right? Like having... the funding get to a point where I, you know, can, can pay someone, obviously. Hi, Adam. Adam's the best, you know, to to do that (laughs) is a, like makes this feasible. And it's funny, even with that, even with someone else doing the editing, like the amount of work, right. That goes into this, of course. Oh my goodness. And, but also having someone else on the team does alleviate a little bit of what you're talking about that, you know, it's not like he and I are doing the podcast together, but I do have someone that's sort of like in it with me, right? Or invested or that like we've bounced ideas around or I don't know, something about not just doing it alone in a vacuum is really helpful. Totally, totally. And I have my, I had a lovely designer, Ethan. I need to give him props who helps me with like the web stuff and the images and Ethan has been such a support. But doing the day-to-day work on it everything by yourself and not being able to afford to hire someone because I'm not making enough money from it. It just felt like a very like a dead end in some ways. And it, it also, I think like it also got to a point where I was getting so many emails a week from listeners around the world that I just, you know, maybe I was getting 75 emails a week and that time would have been time. Maybe I would have like be going out to dinner with friends, real, real people in my life. Mm -hmm. And I just was realizing like, I want connection in person and that's where I want my life to be. I don't want it to be through the online medium. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this brings up this idea of like not being afraid to change course and follow your intuition. Is that something that you feel like is a strength of yours in general? Like where do you have any other examples of where else you've done that in your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I feel like kind of connecting to one's intuition has been one of my, I don't know, lifelong loves. And I think it's been like, it's learning how to strip away for me, like all the all the shit that's in my mind, all the stories I tell myself, all the judgment, all the fear and kind of getting to the intuition is getting to the core inside of me, which is like the voice that's the deepest part that's grounded in love and truth. Um, And it's something I think I've been cultivating for a lot of my life. Um, Just as a kid, I was really sensitive to people to, I was one, I always felt like I I could tell when people would get sad really easily. That kind of sounds corny, but um, I have always been kind of cultivating my intuition. And now through teaching yoga, I definitely feel like I've continued to 
can you ask me that question and reframe it in a different way for me? Yeah, well, I guess let me just piggyback on what you just said. So this idea of, you know, not being afraid to change, follow your intuition, I feel like that's one of those things that sounds lovely, right? Like that's everyone's like, oh, yeah, like, that's great. Let's do that. But I guess so another question is, like, how do you actually do that? Like, how do you navigate that in your own life to like, not just say, Mm. okay, I'm not afraid to change. This doesn't feel right anymore. So I'm going to change. Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think the word that comes to mind is trust. Um, And similar to what I was speaking to with trusting when listening, I think I've learned you have to trust the process. So if I have an intuition about something, about a choice I want to make, I mean, for example, when I decided I wanted to become a yoga teacher, um, it was the summer before freshman year of college. And I remember I was getting pretty serious about my yoga practice. And I, it kind of just, it was almost like it hit me it kind of came out of nowhere. It's like a little ball that hit my face, but it didn't hurt. It was more just like a ball of goodness. And I was like, Julia, you're meant to study to become a yoga teacher. And it felt like an intuitive, yeah, an intuitive hit of information. And then the more I sat with that, the more true it became. And so it took trusting that I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out a way. I got a scholarship to do the teacher training. I would commute back and forth between Maine and Boston where I went to school um, and trusting in their process. So, like, I didn't know what the end game of it was. I didn't know that I would go on to be teaching yoga someday full time, but I knew that I had to like trust in the process. So I think throughout my life, I've just gotten those almost like little hits. I've never really thought about it as like a ball coming at my face, but um, <laughs> like I think I get those. And the more I can like accept them and embrace them, like the more I can catch the ball, like the more easily they come to me. And now it's like every day I'll have moments where the little thing like comes into my mind and I embrace it. I take it with a hug and I'm like, oh, and then it becomes often and I can trust and lean into it. Yeah. So how do you handle when whatever the intuition is that you're getting like bumps up against other people's desires or expectations? Like I think the podcast is a really good example. Like you had such a devoted listenership. I mean, a lot of folks who have since, you know, come over to my show and, you know, they, I get emails all the time. How's Julia? We miss Julia. You know, I'm like, well, I'll bring her on the podcast. Relax. It's fine. Um, but yes. So like when you have an intuition that you want to do something that maybe isn't going to be well received by folks, like how do you navigate that for yourself? Mm, such a cool question. Um, I think, well, I think on one hand, it's really hard. And we've spoken about this, but it's sometimes when the pain becomes too great, then the change happens. And so I definitely had the intuition for, I remember the previous December that I wanted to end the podcast. I had that intuitive hit because I was like, I don't think this is the life I want as a life on the online. And I was, and then it eventually came to like the pain of feeling so frustrated, so alone with the work, dealing with depression, all the stuff that actually led me to the change. So sometimes it has to take like real, real shit to hit the fan, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for change to happen. And that's not always the most graceful um, way of my intuition manifesting. But other times for me, when it doesn't align with what other people want, I think I oftentimes just have to like, I have to sit with it and not make bold moves. I mean, I ended up deciding, I ended up getting into grad school this winter. And um, I also had an intuitive hit. I was on a meditation retreat, a meditation and chanting retreat when I was there. And I was doing some really deep like prayer and deep thinking about it. And I had an experience where it was pretty clear to me, I wasn't meant to go to grad school. And that really was not what my parents wanted for me. I mean, like they were really disappointed that I wasn't going to grad school. And so, yes, it's not, I definitely don't think 
I'm going to, my intuition is going to align with those around me all the time. But on one hand, I have to live. I just believe you have to live in your truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel so- like maybe I oversimplified it, but I just feel like there's really, you have to live in your truth, but then also live with compassion towards those you love. Like my parents are just doing the best they can and they, they think they know it's best for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something for me, you know, a lot of changes or choices that I've made that felt like aligned with my truth, but that for whatever reason, you know, weren't well received or whatever, my sort of tendency is to be really aggressive about it, kind of like a, well, screw you, I don't care what you think, which also isn't great, mm-hmm. right? That is, I mean, if that's your coping mechanism at the time, you do, the, like you said, you do the best you can, but, you know, sort of being able to do what's best for you, like you said, like living your truth, whatever that looks like, but not in like a harmful or aggressive way. And I don't I mean, I don't think there's any wisdom or any answers. There's no like 10 step plan to do that. But I think that's sort of the inherent struggle, right? Like what happens when you know what it is that you want and, you know, X, Y, and Z people aren't supportive or like that's, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to manage. And especially when you love those people and are so grateful for them, like all my podcast listeners, I loved them and I adored them and I was so grateful for their support. And my parents, I mean, they like, they brought me to life. Um, <laughs> You know, and I, of course, would never want to let them down. But at the end of the day, you wake up with you. When I wake up in the morning, the person I'm waking up to is with myself. And so it's like how I need to live my life is in alignment with me in a way that I'm going to be sustainably happy. Yeah. Something else that's been helpful for me is sort of forcing myself to go through the process of differentiating between like everyone's going to have an opinion, right, in one way or the other. But like who are the small handful of people that whose opinions like not really matter because that sounds almost callous, but like that are that my day-to-day decisions like really do impact them, right? Like deciding to wrap Mm. up my business and start this podcast, like Paul's the one who's support that I need, right? Like this is like, he's the one I'm sharing my financial life with, like all this type of stuff that like people can have opinions, but it's for me been helpful to sort of get clear on who are the couple of people. And it's usually like one or two people, if I'm really honest with myself, right, that have to be on board and the rest of it, it's great if other people like what I'm doing, but it's not as necessary. Yeah. Do you feel like for you, when I say intuition, what what do you think of or what's your relationship to your intuition? Honestly, I don't know. I feel, <sighs> I, I have always said that I don't have, that I'm not super in touch with it, mostly because I've never really come from a very like woo-woo place and that feels like a very woo-woo word, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. That like there's something about that that feels like sort of too airy-fairy for me, even though I know what it means. And I actually think that I have very strong, like grounded in intuition because I'm not I'm not afraid to change, right? I do know when things aren't working for me. I have made like big pivots. So it's funny to be like to be really in touch with something and to not be attached to the label of it. Does yeah. that make sense? Totally, totally. And that it's not maybe the label, it sounds like doesn't resonate for you. But you have a do have a very strong sense of self, which I think leads you to make decisions in your highest, you know, in your highest um, vibration. I think I, ha- I, I know, be- I mean, because I check in with myself so much in so many different ways and like to the point where sometimes it's not great to like live in your head all the time. Like there comes a point where it's like too much reflection, right? And you just need to like have a dance party and like do something else. But <laughs> like, if you do check in with yourself and you're in conversation with yourself all the time, you know, as a writer, as whatever, like, I'm just always sort of aware of what's true for me that I can feel it in real time when something doesn't feel good. Yes. I guess. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I think with your whole journey with culinary school, like over the past year, like you've given yourself permission to change and to check in with yourself and with all your hiking plans too. It's, and it's like, to me, I love that you speak, you say it out loud. 
you've spoken to the idea of healing yourself out loud, but you also make, you are honest about your changes out loud. I think people are sometimes afraid or hide or try to cover them up and you don't, which I love. Well, thank you so much. That's, I don't know, that means a lot, especially coming from you. Yeah. So wrapping up the podcast, stepping away from the internet, what were your immediate next steps? Like, what did it feel like to tell people you were backing away from it and to get off social media? Felt fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Felt awesome. (laughs) I like felt so free. It was amazing. I was like, wow, I have like a weekend and I don't have to spend my whole weekend editing and all this brain space like throughout my week was constantly filled by where am I at in, in the editing process? And when you don't have something, people can relate to that in school who have like a big paper or project, or even if you're writing a book, you know, it's on your shoulders all the time. And all of a sudden, just this weight had been lifted and that felt really cool. It felt like the time I had cut off all my hair and I had like sh- sh- boy short hair. And I was like, whoa, when you're showering, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wow, this is so different. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. Um, and I think it also felt, to me, it just felt really exciting to feel like my life was really private in mine again. I had, as as you know, but maybe not as the whole world knows, I've been really struggling with my mental health last year. And it was really hard to be having the podcast at times and feel as if I was living this double life. On one hand, I was suffering a lot inside, and but didn't really also know how to bring that to, you know, my my exterior self. And so it was nice to feel like, okay, I'm going to put that that self on hold and really just go inwards and focus on, yeah, my life in real time with those around me um, and healing. It's interesting how that almost seems like like a not accepted choice. Like it's just so accepted that we're on social media, we're on the internet. Like that's a thing that you do. Like turning away from that seems like such a big deal, maybe is or isn't a big deal. But I mean, I love hearing you talk about sort of valuing privacy because in this age of even like real talk, right, vulnerability, this type of stuff, it's I've seen sometimes sort of an attitude that it's not okay to have things be private, right? That it's like you're hiding something or I don't know, there's like an interesting culture in this like time of vulnerability around privacy. Yeah. And I think a fear of missing out, like, I mean, it's like if I'm taking myself, you know, I deleted my Facebook, I deleted my Twitter, I deleted my Instagram. And I don't know if there's any other social medias I'm forgetting. I don't do like Snapchat or any of that like stuff. But, you know, I didn't have any social media. So then it's like, I'm not going to know like the cool hikes Nicole went on. You know, (laughs) I'm not going to see like the inspirational stuff you write. And so there's also like that fear of being like, wow, I'm going to miss out on all these things from people I love. But also remembering like my love for the people and what they've taught me doesn't go away. And then I can always just call people up who mean a lot to me and just talk to them, which is even that much more better to hear it from their own, their own mouth. Yeah, I think the reason social media is such an interesting topic is because I don't think it's this like black and white either or like, yes, it's nice to shut down some of the external noise, right? Especially if it's become a thing that you're like really obsessed with or get perfectionisty about. But also the downside is exactly what you said. Like there are people that you love and it is a really easy way to keep up with those folks. Oh my gosh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, And a way to feel, for some people, a way to feel connected. I mean, and different, you know, to feel like they're in touch with their community. Mm -hmm. And it's provided, I mean, it's done, social media, I think, has been such a powerful force of connection for so many people. But I think for me and just my makeup and my, myself and my spirit and my brain, it hasn't been like 
the positive force of my life that maybe it's been for other people. Mm -hmm. So sort of looking back at the time between, you know, this period where we're talking about wrapping up the podcast, getting off social media, having all the freedom and the weekends back, right? And today, what have been, I don't necessarily know like the biggest things or necessarily the highlights, but like what's been wonderful, what's been hard, sort of like catch me up on the past year of your life. I mean, obviously I know we've talked offline, but you know, what are, what are some of the things that stand out for you that were particularly meaningful or challenging in Mm. this like time period? Yeah, totally. So I moved back to Boston or Cambridge last summer um, and I was in a pretty rough state of being. So I think the first two months that I moved back, I just focused on healing and therapy and spiritual work and my own yoga practice and really just kind of getting back to center to self. And so that was like a really crucial time to just be like, okay, I'm going to kind of go and retreat and put everything on pause to turn inwards. And I don't think people give themselves that that gift enough, honestly, um, when they are struggling or suffering. And so that was really helpful. Um, and then I had thought that I wanted to go to grad school for education because I love teaching and I love human beings and I love kids in particular. I love all all ages of kids. I love young kids. I love middle school. I love high school. Um, and so I applied to grad school for education and I got a job working at a school this past fall. Um, and I was working as a substitute teacher in a kindergarten classroom. And oh my goodness, it was so much fun. I love kindergarten. Um, I like, I just the kindergartners taught me so much about being human, about being a compassionate person. Cause when you're with kindergartners, you're focusing a lot more on the social emotional aspects of development. So you're teaching them how to make eye contact, how to say sorry, how to, you know, regulate their emotions, uh, how to share. But they also are like little Buddhas. They're so brilliant. <laughs> I had this one kindergartner, Kai, who we were doing a project on creativity. And I would oftentimes, you know, ask them. I was like, okay, what does this word mean? Just to see if anyone in the, in the group knew. And Kai said something that I'm never going to forget. He said, creativity is living a life beyond limits. It's pretty profound for a small child. I love it. That's a five-year-old. I was like, but they would just drop like wisdom like that every day. No joke. Every day, a kid would say something that was like quotable to me um, because they had they were just so pure, so so pure. So that was a really special thing. So I worked in the school for the fall, and then I also was teaching yoga part time. And then come this winter, I transitioned out of working at the school. And I took on teaching yoga full time. Um, so teaching yoga full time for me means I teach anywhere from 12 to 20 classes a week. I'm teaching 21 classes this week. Um, and I teach at a couple different studios. And yeah, so that's where I'm at. I ultimately decided not to go to grad school for next year, um, even though I want to be a teacher probably at some day. And I would love to work in a classroom with kids. I felt like I was kind of forcing myself down that path pretty soon. And I'm really, really enjoying yoga teaching and the yoga community and growing in that arena. And so I felt like talking about intuition, my intuition told me to keep on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that you said a little bit ago, I feel like I want to underscore this idea of giving yourself permission to heal. I think that I agree with you that that's something that we do not do. We have this very like, just get over it, pull yourself up, you know, whatever attitude about lots of things about grief, about depression, about just anything. And 
I don't know. I mean, I don't even really know what my question is around this, but for someone maybe who's struggling to give themselves permission to take that space, to heal, to back off of something, right? To go to therapy, to do the work. What, what do you, what would you want to share? Yeah. Well, first off, I just want to give you a hug because <laughs> I feel you. And I would want to just say that like your whole life can be in service of healing. And that was like a huge shift for me to realize my whole life could be in service of healing, not meaning like your whole life has to be about you or you have to be in therapy every day, et cetera, et cetera. But all the little choices you make in your day. So are you going to make the choice of taking the subway home or maybe walking the extra 30 minutes? Because walking outside and being in nature is going to help kind of recenter you, reground you and help you clear your mind after a busy day. Are you going to choose to turn on the TV when you get home? Because that might be one of your ways of numbing out. Or would you call up someone you love and try to feel less alone and more connected? Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm trying to say is that when we attune ourselves to healing, it doesn't, it's not compartmentalized to being like, oh, I'm just going to go to therapy once or twice a week. And those are the hours that I'll focus on healing. Your whole life can be in service of your healing if you want to step up to it. Yeah, I love that because I do think that one of the reasons that people have a hard time with it is that I don't have time. I have all these responsibilities. Like I can't carve out. It's it's the same thing where like the myth of self-care as like you have to go get a massage or I mean, massages are awesome, right? But that that's not what self-care ultimately is, right? It's this sort of ongoing conversation with yourself of what do I need in this moment? Like, and am I willing to meet my needs and, you know, believe that I'm worth it and all of that. And I think, yeah, to your point that healing can be very similar. Mm-hmm. And that healing can also like, Healing is hard and a healing is a constant process. Like, I mean, me and you, we're still healing. I'm still in recovery. There's no, there's no end destination for me. There's just like getting back to places of center and discovering new centers. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you had spoken about last month. I listened to your end of month reflections, which is Patreon exclusive content. So you probably should support a full Patreon. Um, which is so awesome. I mean, the amount you put out there is just like freaking blows my mind. The high quality stuff you put out is incredible. Um, and your writing is amazing. But you were speaking to like last month, you felt like you had a little bit of relapse. And it was kind of funny you wrote that because like the past two weeks have been pretty hard for me with my depression. And you were speaking to how it almost, you know, you don't always like realize it and then you do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah, yeah. Well, it's creeping up on me. It's any time that I get that I, I don't know, get to the place. And again, it's an ego thing, like the false belief of everything's fixed, right? Or like thinking that it's this like finite, static point of like depressions in the past, or that like it's it's like so cute when I see that happen to myself. I'm like, oh, sweetie, of course, you know that it's to your point that like healing is an ongoing process, and that that has to be okay. Yeah, and that you also have to check in with yourself about it, like. For me, I was noticing I've been eating out a lot because of my busy, hectic schedule. But for me, like I do best when I eat, you know, one or two meals a day at home, um, even if I pack my lunches, but eating in a more grounded way. And that like self-care, like all those little things add up and all the choices we make. And for people who are just more vulnerable, more sensitive, um, who deal with issues of mental health, you have to be like really on top of it. Mm -hmm. What do you find to be particularly helpful healing or grounding activities for you personally? I think the most healing activity for me has been teaching yoga. Teaching um, versus practicing? Yes. Okay, yes. talk about that. Yes. Um, well, when I teach, I feel like I have to be in alignment. 
Um, if I'm going to be teaching people about being mindful, listening to their bodies, befriending themselves, being compassionate, I have to be living that. Because if I'm not living that, like that's not, then I, first off, I can't teach that. And that will not be felt as true for my students. That's mm-hmm. not the energy. Like I won't be embodying that. So that's been the hugest thing for me is when I'm teaching, I feel like it keeps me sober. It keeps me straight because I teach almost every day and I have to be checking with myself. Am I living in alignment to be able to serve others and to be teaching them how to live in alignment Mm -hmm. with themselves? Yeah. So teaching has been really, really healing and powerful. And I, at times with me, with my depression, I kind of sometimes want to hide, you know, I can have the tendency to isolate myself and to cancel plans and to just hide from the world and spend a tremendous amount of time alone. But when I'm teaching, I have to be in front of a group of people and I have to be talking and I have to be sharing and I have to be getting out of my own head and my own shit and my own stories and be in service. Mm-hmm. And I can't hide. Yeah, no, I love that. So going going back in time, I know you started yoga relatively young. Tell me about your very first yoga class. Do you remember? Oh my God, hell yeah. <laughs> Totally. My first yoga class was at the studio, actually. I teach at now, which is like such a cool full circle thing. And the teacher, he's still one of my main teachers. I see him almost every day in the studio, Gregor Singleton. He's this Scottish man who was a formerly an actor who's this incredible voice. If you're ever, if anyone is ever in Boston, go take a class with Gregor. It'll change your life. And it was a 7.30 p.m. class actually in July, which is so cool. And I, my mom took me because at this point in high school, um, I was really struggling then with my mental health, with depression and anxiety. And I never, I didn't have any movement practices. You know, I wasn't like one of those kids who was athletic growing up or had a way of kind of releasing stress through their body. And so my mom thought yoga would be a good idea. And it was the yoga studio that was closest to my house. So she went with me and it was a beginner's class, yet it was like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And I hated it. And I didn't understand anything because some of it was in Sanskrit and it was just really confusing. I couldn't tell my right and left side. I was super inflexible. It was just the whole thing was like a hot mess and it was a heated yoga class. So it was literally hot. (laughs) Um, And I got home. I think when I left the room, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Like, no way. Um, And then when I got home that night, you know, I got home late and I was lying in my bed and I remember I had just felt like this surge of energy. And I felt this surge of like excitement and energy and feeling like alive in my body in a way that I hadn't felt for a really, really long time. And something about that kind of that feeling called me back into the classroom. And so I started to go with yoga and I'd say the first two years I kind of flirted with it. Maybe I'd go once a week or so to class on the weekends. And then eventually by my senior year of high school, I was going six to seven times a week and I would get my mom to drive me to school late so that I could go to yoga class and she would call in and sometimes be like live for me and be like oh Julia has an appointment or she slept in she'll be coming in 10 minutes late so I could like make the morning yoga class in the (laughs) studio um and then yeah and it totally transformed my my life at that point in senior year why do you think this is totally a selfish question because I am one of these people but why do you think some people struggle to fall in love with yoga yeah, I don't think yoga is for everyone, but I think that's kind of like, why do some people struggle to fall in love? Or like, why do some people struggle with running? I think yeah. it's just like, I don't think yoga is the be all end all. I think it's just one medium to access what you access through hiking and running. And 
it's like an accessing a mind body spirit union and a connection to the flow state and a connection to your strength and to your body. And yoga, I think, is a very accessible way for some people because, you know, running is intimidating and that running, you know, your heart starts racing. So you feel for some people, they feel like they're going to like just die. (laughs) And that feeling is really uncomfortable to people. But yoga is, I think, less intimidating in that you're not going to be perhaps feeling like so uncomfortable as far as cardiovascularly. Mm -hmm. But I think for some people, it's what's I'm teaching this guy actually right now. This is a great example. I'm teaching this guy private yoga sessions and I teach him four times a week at his house. And he's in his 50s and he's dealt with a lot of chronic pain and he's never done yoga before, but it had been recommended to him by his doctor. So he started doing private yoga with me. And he really like, I mean, he would, he, he will say this, but like he hated his body. He was at war with his body. So I think for some people doing yoga, actually having to slow down on their body, if they're, they've ignored their body or they always speed up in their body is very uncomfortable. So I think it's like, it's a multidimensional question as to why yoga doesn't resonate for some people, mm-hmm. but I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone, but I think everyone in my belief, in my opinion, everyone needs to move in some way that feels empowering to them. And that could be walking. Yeah. That could be trampolining. Right. You know, like- yeah, it could be lots of things. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. What's your process for, I mean, te- I can't imagine teaching 20 classes a week. That's like mind blowing to me. But what's your process for planning your classes? Like, are they structured? Do you have a plan? Like, what does that look like for you as a teacher? Yeah. So I teach a couple different styles of yoga. And depending on the style that I teach, the planning is different. Because one of the styles I teach is more of like a set sequence. So there's a scaffolding to how the class will always go. And then within it, there's like creative freedom. And and then some of classes that I teach are more restorative classes. So I have to specifically teach, you know, there's a body of postures that are more restorative and rejuvenative. Um, And then I also teach some classes that are just more creatively sequenced. So I can just teach whatever I want. So long story short, there's a lot of freedom. And because I do teach almost every day, naturally what will happen is like about every week every couple days I'll start to kind of work with an intention the intention could be a word the intention could be a quote that's really resonating or the intention could come in the form of like a posture and a lesson that I've learned from that posture and then surrounding that that will like inform and shape my teaching and so I'll start to build my classes on that so sometimes it's Sometimes it happens organically. Sometimes I'll take out a notebook and write it down. I used to, I've been teaching for six years, but when I was a newer teacher, I used to write all my sequences down, you know, on a paper. But now at this point, I don't do that anymore. Perhaps I'll get back to there at some point, maybe when I start to like get more advanced and level up in my teaching. But right now I'm, it's, I do most of the planning in my head. And I oftentimes transition when I go to yoga class, I either walk there or I bike there, or take the subway, and I use that time to always mentally prepare before I teach as to like, what do I want to share? But mm-hmm. you can also have a plan, but then every day your students, are, the group is going to be so different, and it's going to have different bodies, and different injuries, and different levels. Like sometimes I'll have a class where everyone's a beginner, even though it's not a beginner's class, or everyone's super advanced, or everyone's a woman in her 50s, and you just also teach to what you see, Yeah, which is like so much fun. It's yeah. such a surprise. Something that's coming up for me as you're talking right now it's it's so easy to want to box ourselves in like career-wise or creatively like that on the surface it might seem like you know that 
hosting a podcast for three years and then teaching yoga, that those things are really different. And of course, like they are really different, but the through line, you know, of what you mentioned about learning to be a more active listener and responding to the situation with podcasting, so much of that rings like true for what you just said about, you know, teaching your classes, right? That you have a structure, but also being open to it, like that there's a skill set there that clearly you've brought from one thing to the other thing that, I know I think about that a lot that even if your job changes or your career path or something like that, that like your skills don't disappear, like your skills come with you and what makes you good at one thing could be transferred into a totally different arena. Yes, totally. I completely agree. And that you have to be okay with maybe not always being like as in control of how it's going to show up. For example, with this guy I'm teaching privately, the first couple sessions with him, I was trying to do like really more formal yoga with him. And then I realized that was not resonating. Like he did not want to ohm. He did not want to namaste. (laughs) He felt really uncomfortable when I did that. And he also, some of the postures were just too advanced for him. So I had to back up a second. I was like, I have to just teach him some basic movement patterns, how to twist, how to like externally rotate internally rotate all these things he had to learn the actions before he could learn the postures and so giving him like a movement a language for movement and I also realized that doing a lot of pilates with him resonated a lot more than doing a lot of yoga so we do mostly pilates actually mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's being I mean I, that's what I, I feel like expertise is or I mean, building expertise is the ability to react in real time, right to these kind of situations and not have to follow something that's like so scripted and pre prepared. Yes, yes. So you have recently, even though we talked about um, the freedom of getting off social media, you have recently come back on to Instagram, at least talk about why you decided to do that and how your relationship with it has changed after taking a break. Yeah, so I don't know how many months was I off? Maybe like, I deleted it in September and then I don't know how many months, I think it was like six months I was off of Instagram. Um, and Instagram out of all the social medias was my favorite one because I've always loved photography and I loved getting to see what people were doing through the simplicity of a photo. Um, and when I deleted my Instagram, I didn't realize that like when you, I think the way I deleted it was like I deleted it permanently. Whereas when you delete your Facebook, it's like you deactivate your Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize Instagram was like that. So when I deleted my Instagram, I lost all my pictures, (laughs) which I'm like a little sad about, but that's okay. Um, I decided to come back to social media. One of the social, one of the yoga studios I worked at um, really believes that as like yoga teachers, we have to be entrepreneurs and we have to be um, putting ourselves out there through different mediums. And so they were really encouraging me to at least get it back on one form of social media So that was coming from that area. And then I also felt like I've started to felt ready to share myself again and to share my story. And over the next couple of years, I feel like I'm going to have some exciting projects ahead. And I knew that social media would be a great way to share about them and connect. And I also just wanted to see what like my peeps were doing. It's so much fun. Like you just got a tattoo. Hello. With like my favorite my favorite quote in the world. Tell me about that. Uh, Mary Oliver is the best, isn't she? Yes. Uh, Yeah, I so um, for anyone who has read my hiking blog, this line of poetry like is mentioned there, but it's it's from um, a poem of hers. And the, the line says, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Which is something that I thought about, like very intensely on my 
hike. And I mean, this could be a much longer conversation, but this, this idea of, I don't know, like not keeping myself so small or not being satisfied with just being a little bit alive, um, which I don't know, ties into a lot of things, but I just sort of realized, especially since quitting drinking, um, and obviously you interviewed me for that, my five year soberversary episode. And one of the things we talked about was like trying to navigate having fun, like having actual, like fun, spontaneous, like wild times that I really do enjoy without drinking. And that was something that I was having a hard time with. And so something about this quote just like speaks into that space of, I don't know, like needing to check in with myself, like not just daily, but multiple times a day. Like, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Like, am I saying no to things out of fear? Am I like turning down this person's invitation because I'm feeling depressed and like don't want to be a burden and I'm isolating? Am I like not... You know, I'm about to do um, my first live like event slash workshop, like Real Talk Radio live event in London. Um, I mean, at the time that this comes out, you know, it'll be only a couple days from now. And um, like even that is something I've been thinking about doing live workshops and, you know, live events for so long. And there were always like reasons and excuses and insecurities and things not to. And like even this, like this tattoo, like looking down at my arm being like, no, like this just are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Like do the things right that and I don't know. So something about that, I feel like it's a reminder that I need every day because I'm more me when I am doing the things but I definitely have a tendency to shy away from them. So beautiful. You almost just made me cry. Yeah, I, yeah, it's so powerful. Because like leaning into that is leaning into your magic. Because yeah. I'm just like, I'm so excited for you to do that in London. I like secretly wish I could just like fly there. <laughs> I wish you could too. That's <laughs> fine. So we'll, do, we'll do something. We'll do something on the East Coast for sure. That's the thing. It's like, it's it's almost like the hosting the workshop. I'm so excited. I mean, I don't even know if workshop's the right word. It's funny. At, at the time of this recording, I'm still in the planning phases for it. So you're starting to outline what it's going to be. But it's... Uh, I like the idea of if you force yourself to do one thing, then like all the work and the planning that goes into doing it once, then I can take that to other cities and replicate that and do, you know, like sometimes we only need the push to like break the seal, right? Or it's like, you're so afraid of the blank page, but it's like once you've written one page, right? Or even like a table of contents, like then it's not so new and scary anymore. And so I find that like momentum does take over and does play a really big role. And so it's just like, I need that initial push of like, just don't be so quick to settle. Like don't be so quick to, I don't know, shy away from, yeah, exactly, exactly. And just, it's, you know, it's on one hand can be very like cliche carpe diem ish, but there's definitely a deeper thing there for me that's specifically related to, you know, sobriety and other things that it's like, just because I'm not, I'm choosing not to do like one particular set of fun and activities doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to have any fun. And that was sort of what I woke up to in the last, basically the last like month was, oh, I haven't really had fun in six years. And like, that's because I'm keeping myself on such a tight leash because I'm afraid something bad's going to happen. And like, I'm not willing to do that anymore. So that means I'm probably going to make mistakes and, you know, like (laughs) fall off the pedestal or whatever. But it's yeah. So yeah, multi-layered meaning in this tattoo. And tell me what else brought, is bringing you to London. Uh, oh, so I'm going for um, the track and field world championships, which is exciting. So awesome. I know. Kate made the team. So that's so exciting. Yeah. I figured what, when else, right? Do you have the chance to like watch a friend compete at such a high level event? And I I used to live in London. You know that. I lived there for six years yeah. when I was younger. You're and, from there. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not from there, but I lived there 
third grade to eighth grade and haven't been back since. And obviously, like, I was a child. Not that I don't remember it, but it'll be totally different and I think strange and sort of out of body-ish to go back to a place that was so familiar when so much time has passed. So I've been meaning to get back there forever. And there's, you know, people that I want to meet there. And there's an awesome, you know, contingency of podcast listeners there. Like, it's just, it was all the things at once. And I'm like, just go. Like, just, <laughs> just like book the ticket, just go. So I, uh, I'm excited. What are you most excited about, like, revisiting from your childhood? I don't know that there's anything specific. Is there any spots or, like, um, streets? Or will you go to the house you're from? Or I mean, maybe, just, like, for nostalgia's sake, right? Or just, like, to see how that feels. Um, but I think the thing that's interesting to me about London is that living there was the time that my family was the happiest, like as a family unit and sort of a lot of the problems that ha- happened in my family dynamic with my parents, with money, you know, with their relationship, um, with my mom's mental health, a lot of stuff happened basically after. So it's like a very clear sort of in my mind, especially in my mind from being a child, like a before and after point of this is when this is the last time that things were really good in that regard. So I'm interested to see how that feels to go back to be like, oh, like I was really happy kid here. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what will come up. I can't wait to hear your reflections on it. I think it's amazing how we can go back to places and how they can trigger past memories um, and feelings that we might not even be prepared for. Right, totally. No, I mean, clearly I'll have lots of thoughts to download to you, but I I think that's part of it. I think the bigger part of it is this idea of sort of waking up to I haven't let myself do so many things in the last six years, both because first I was afraid that it was, you know, that I was going to drink. I didn't trust myself that way. I didn't trust myself not to get into messy situations. I was so afraid that, you know, because traveling has in the past been a trigger for me for mood episodes, you know, specifically when there's big time change, right, or red eye flights, which are all of the things involved in this situation. And so I just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? maybe that will happen. Like maybe I'll go there and it'll trigger something and I'll be like high as a kite for six days and it will be what it's going to be. And I don't know. I just, I got to the point where I'm like, I can't not live my life anymore. And so that's why I'm like making some changes to be. So this trip, like not to put too much meaning on it, but it represents something for me of like a loosening the reins of if the only way that I can be, you know, quote, okay, is to keep myself in this like very tight, very regimented box. Eh, I'm, I'm over it. I'm not willing to do that anymore. So this might be messier and probably will be, but my it can't be that the only way that my mental health is fine is like if I go to bed at nine every night and never do anything fun. Like, I'm not willing to make that trade. I'm only 32, right? Like I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Yes. Rock on, girl. Right. Totally. Um, so this is funny. Something else that I wanted to ask you as evidenced by what just happened. You're such a good question asker. I feel like that's something I've always admired about you. And I would love to hear either your thought process on how to ask good questions or I don't know, like, for example, in a podcast interview or when you're meeting someone new, how do you approach like the questioning process? Do you have favorite questions to ask things that you're particularly curious about, about a lot of people? Like what's I don't know. You're such a good question asker that I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, you're so sweet. You're making me blush, but you can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) Audio blush. (laughs) An audio blush right now, um, for real. Um, That's so interesting. I'm just fascinated by people, and I think I don't, I'm not self-conscious about it. I feel like that's maybe the main thing, is that I'm not, I'm willing to take the risk. I mean, I talk to strangers every day, numerous times a day, I'll talk to people, um, I've been like this my entire life, my family will tell you. 
And so I think asking questions, I try to remove the fear and instead like lean into love and realize that like my questions, my curiosity is coming from love. It's coming from just being so like interested in people. And so I think oftentimes people have a lot of fear of either like how it's going to be received or if the person's going to feel uncomfortable. And if someone doesn't want to answer your question, you know, they can always say no or kind of slide around it. But my favorite question to ask people most of the time is how they met their significant other. Why? I think love is so fascinating. And I think also just like where I'm at in my life that I like don't have a partner and like I hope to someday have a family and I have a partner and have children. I think I'm just so curious. It's like, there's no, there's no book. It's like, you know how you can graduate from school. There's like a clear path, you know, to being like, okay, I'm going to get my PhD, but like to falling in love and like meeting a partner and creating a life um, and, and the chemistry and the magic that surrounds that. It's just so unique to each couple in each mm-hmm. partnership. And so I always find it fascinating as to how it, how it goes down for different people. Cause there, to me, there's like very little through lines. Yeah. Well, and I find the fact that there's very little through lines, very comforting something. So it's interesting that you're curious about the stories of people meeting their partner. I'm finding recently that I'm really curious about like people who are, I mean, I don't know what constitutes a long-term relationship, but people who, you know, who have been together for at least a couple of years, the, like, how does their relationship actually work? Like the, like, why are they deciding to stay together? Like, what does it look like? There's so much, of course, like relationships can be private or whatever, but I feel like, especially with marriage, we put it on a pedestal. That's like, you know, happily ever after you get married. And then like, that's just it, which obviously we know is not the case. Like, but there's so much about that. That's like shrouded in, we don't want to talk about it. Like, I'm, I'm always curious, like how, how do you do your relationship? Like, what does that look like? Like, what does sex look like? How do you deal with this? How do you, you know, discipline your kids? How do you, just like, I have like so many questions about like how people do real life basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so, that's so interesting because it's work. I don't, I don't think it's easy from what I've witnessed from those around me people I love, my own parents who recently got divorced after 33 years, like it's work to make a relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's like the meeting story is often just the most exciting part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's so this just my like general curiosity on how people like live life in general. You mentioned the the series that we used to do together on, on your show, Real Talk Reflections. That's, and I, I figure we could just kind of like transition into some of that, like just like random, like talk about life. Like I'm so curious about, I don't know, just like everything. So like, for example, what do you feel like is most important to you like right now, maybe like an intention for the summer or like what's feels like top priority for you? My teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My teaching, my yoga teaching right now. Cause I mean, I spend like all day, every day, I feel like doing it and I've just, I'm learning so much and I'm growing and I'm challenging myself in it. I'm studying on my own. I'm investing money into like doing a training this fall and another training. So to me, it's most important and it keeps me like, it keeps me clean and out of, and out of like, it keeps me, yeah, it keeps me on track right now with my own healing as well. So almost, it sometimes feels selfish and like I teach yoga because I love teaching yoga, but I also teach it to like keep me in alignment. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's, I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. That's a hundred percent like for me doing all of the work that I do. Like I don't know how to not do this. I like need to have these conversations. Like I'm going to like explode if I'm not able to like, you know, write things every week and send them out to people. There's just something about, there's something very healing about that. So I think that winds up being like the work that we do in the world, whether it's the actual work we do for pay or whether it's just a hobby or you know, kind of a creative side thing. But yeah, the thing that is healing for us winds up being the thing that we're drawn to. Yes. 
Yes. What's the most fun thing you've done so far this year? Ooh. Um, I, well, I started rock climbing. I haven't been doing it as much lately, which I can tell you about more, but I started rock climbing and it was something that I'd actually talked to you about on our Real Talk Reflections. It was something that I wanted to get into. And I, coming back to Boston, there's a couple really great rock gyms in the area and I started teaching yoga at them and got free memberships to them. And so I just started learning something new that I was totally bad at and a beginner at. I was doing bouldering um, specifically. And I think that's been probably, yeah, that's been like one of the most fun parts of my year is just being, being a beginner at something. It's really cool. And it gives me such a perspective for my teaching of what it's like to feel really uncomfortable and to not understand and to have to just sit with the process and not always feel like you're making steps forward. Sometimes you're making steps back. Mm-hmm. Totally. No, it's, it's funny. I've recently been thinking ever since when you were here in bed and we were talking about rock climbing, I'm like, maybe I'll try rock climbing. So yeah, I, I, I do often like to have something to be a beginner at or to just, just try stuff. Right. Like I, I think some, some of the ways that I have gotten myself in trouble, not in trouble, but in the past is when you are, when you start something and you feel like you have to do that thing forever. Like even going back to, for you, the podcast, like it's okay to wrap something up. Like we sometimes have these weird expectations of, because I do this, this is who I have to be forever. Because I started a blog, I have to blog forever. Like you can just do, like I could go try rock climbing and either keep doing it or not doing it. Or it's, it's, which sounds obviously, I don't know, like of course, but I do think that that's a struggle sometimes. Yes, completely. Mm-hmm. And then like, it can be what it is at that time. For me, I, over the past year and a half, I've had two major running injuries. And so I was injured uh, most of this winter. And so, you know, the time, maybe the hour I'd spend a day running, I ended up, you know, just putting that towards rock climbing. Um, and so now that I'm back to running, I just don't have like a, a bajillion hours in the day to do all the movement that I would love to, because I'm working a lot. So I am not rock climbing as much anymore, which is totally fine, but I'm sure at some point I'll get back to it, you know, Mm -hmm. giving it permission, like things to ebb and flow. Yeah, totally. Is there any area of your life these days that you are goal oriented, that you have a specific goal? Yes. Yeah. I would say my teaching right now, I definitely have some goals. Um, yeah. Goals like what, what are they? Sure. Um, in 2018, I want to lead um, at least two retreats. And so that's like a goal of, you know, building, finding the right retreat center, creating the right focus. If I'm going to co-lead it with someone, I'm actually going to Vermont next week to go check out a retreat center. And I'm thinking about doing like a yoga and trail running or hiking retreat. Um, so creating to like build a vision for that and building community, you know, through my students. Cause I have a couple people, you know, I teach every week. I see them numerous times a week. And so getting to create community outside of the yoga studio would be really special. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would love to lead an international retreat in 2018 as well. So that's another goal. Um, I have a couple, like I have a training I'm going to be doing this fall in um, it's with a New York, a New York based studio and kind of completing that training and really integrating what I'm learning from that training into my teaching. Are are these goals, are these goals enough? I don't know if it's like, yeah, totally. And then it's like, and then I also, I want to get my Pilates certification this upcoming year. Um, and because I'm really, I love, you know, I love movement. I love working from the core and there's a lot of synergy between Pilates and yoga. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I'm going to teach Pilates as like a separate entity, but it will definitely inform the way in which I kind of understand how the body moves in yoga. Yeah. So those are, yeah. So those are a couple of goals. I also want to, I do a lot of chanting. Um, it's something I love 
chanting and I love, and so I've started to take harmonium lessons, which is an instrument. It's like this organ. Um, and I've been chanting more in my classes, but like, I would say one of my goals in the next maybe two years is to eventually like lead a chanting, um, chanting kind of like session with people and I have workshops I want to lead. So yeah, there's, I have a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, no. as far as yoga teaching goes I love that yeah. I mean I always love hearing like what people are working towards right it's like such a good indication of sort of what's important to them and where their head's at and I don't know and even if those things wind up changing or not happening or happening in a different way I think that there's something powerful about saying like this is what I'm working on this is what I want like to sort of like own your desires and your plans and your willingness to like step into that you know version of yourself that you're going to have to become to do those things yeah. What it, what would you say is a goal for you or what arena right now do you feel goal oriented in? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, what do I feel goal oriented in? I mean, I think I was on the fence for a while about the future of the podcast and, you know, is this going to, is it going to continue? Is it going to continue in exactly the same format? And like I said, having bounced around the idea of sort of to your point, online stuff is great, but I love in-person interactions in some form or another. I've, you know, hosted events and retreats and, you know, just in-person things for a lot of my career, like in sort of other iterations. And that's definitely something that I miss. And I was sort of, I don't know. The most honest thing that I can say is that it's scary to try to expand something that's working well as it is, because what if it doesn't work, right? Like, what if you book a space and, you know, uh, put it out there and host a thing and, you know, only two people come and you lose money and it feels not worth it or which of course can happen like I plenty of people who you know lead wonderful retreats and workshops in lots of different kind of genres now you talk to them about their first one and they're like oh yeah I, I did this for free and five people came and it was shit and I was like so nervous the whole time right like that's like a, that type of stuff is a common story and so I think it was it took getting honest with myself about okay, I'm getting in my own way with this. Like I'm trying to make sure it looks, you know, a specific way to just like, just try it. Just like do this thing that you want to do and you'll learn as you go. And the first event is going to be, you know, like the best that it can be. And then you learn more and then you do better. And so, I don't know, I, I see sort of from now, but especially next year, I have a goal of going to a bunch of different cities. And just there's something that's really appealing to me about going to, let's, I don't know, Boston, New York, Orlando, what you know, wherever, Boston. Portland, right? See? And like getting together a group of people, because the listeners of this show, like because it's not a topic specific show, it's not like you have to be into running or cooking or, you know, whatever, that there's there's a need, I think, for people to be able to have more like real talk conversations in their real life. So I would love to be able to bring together, you know, 15, 20, 25 people, have like an awesome three or four hours together and then leave and then they can be friends, right? Or like then they have right. that. Community. Like there's something awesome about like bringing people together and then stepping away from it, right? That it's not about me. And I feel really strongly about that. Like I obviously I'm, I'm excited to lead it and to do things and I have ideas for some fun in person, like real talk roundtable stuff. But it's not about me. It's about like being able to be the one who brings people together. That's always been really appealing. Bam. I'm so stoked. First off, you better come to Boston. I know. <laughs> I, I will. I will. It's, it's, I started, I did like a loose mapping out of what next year could look like in terms of, you know, potentially some long hikes and when live events would fit in. I'm also in 2018 um, going to pivot into doing longer seasons but less often so instead of eight episodes every other month it's going to be 12 episodes every quarter so it's essentially the same amount of episodes like per year it's just going to be I if I give myself some more space in between where I'm not recording then that's more time 
to, to travel and to do these events. So yeah, yeah, it's I guess be, it's, I have no doubt they're going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Well, that's so, so that's sort of goal oriented, I guess. Yeah, thank you. Um, and to just try like you never know what's going to happen, but I'm really excited about it. And, you know, so I think I hope that it's going to be what I want it to be. Um, oh, no doubt. I don't know what else feels goal oriented. I'm still trying to figure out my long distance hiking plans for this year, um, given all the snow and stuff on the PCT. But that's not really a goal so much as just like a hobby and a thing to do. Um, yeah, I think I mean, my main focus is on podcasting stuff. So that feels fun. Um, what's something that you want to talk about that hasn't come up yet in this conversation? Hmm. Such a fun question. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. I'll tell a story that I told my yoga students yesterday that has just been on my mind. If this is okay, if I tell the story. Basically, yeah. there's this hardware store near my house. And I was sitting outside the hardware store last week with um, two of my friends getting coffee because there's a coffee shop next door. And this is like in a city center. It's in Porter Square, Cambridge, um, a busy place. And this man, probably in his 30s, walks by. And around his neck, he had a yellow snake, like a real live snake, a very large snake. I don't know what type of snake this was. And he walked into the hardware store. He came out of the hardware store with the snake still around his neck like five minutes later. Then he sat down next to us at the cafe. He opens up his backpack. He takes this like mesh thing out of his backpack. He puts the snake inside the mesh thing. He puts the mesh thing back in the backpack. He zips up his backpack and like totally nonchalantly walks away. And I first off just like have not been, I haven't been stopped. Like I haven't stopped thinking about like what it would be like to have a pet snake. Um, I don't want to have one, but the idea of just like, you don't know what's in people's backpacks. Like, we don't know what people are holding, like, onto in life. Like, the, what like what traumas, what joys, what losses, what grief, and then, like, literally what's in their backpack. But it was such a beautiful reminder for me to be like, I just can't ever assume. Like, I could be sitting next to someone on the subway, which I am often these days, and I have no clue what they're, you know, what they're going through. Yeah, no, that's... That's such a powerful story. I, I mean, I don't want a snake in a backpack. Like that's not something that I want. Um, but yeah, it's, it is. It's so. It's such a good reminder of. I mean, exactly all the things that you just said. That it's you just don't know, right? And again, coming back to like leaving more space for people, and you just again, it's these things that come out to be cliches, right? Like don't ju- you don't judge. You never know what someone's facing. But like that's really true. Sometimes this might sound like really silly, but sometimes I'll be in a public space, you know, outside at a coffee shop or like on some kind of public transportation or at a park or something. And, you know, you look around at all the other people and like that they're all strangers. And I think, OK, so I'm 32 and I have this huge, like rich, you know, inner landscape of experiences that have happened to me and mistakes that I've made and things that I'm ashamed of and things that I'm working on and things that I'm proud of and things that I'm afraid of and like all of this and so does everyone else (laughs) this might sound so silly but sometimes it strikes me as like oh my god like we're all just people in the world and like this person over there like I have no idea you know what the thing is that's keeping them up at night that they can't stop thinking about or what's the you know that it's sometimes I just need perspective to be like we all have like so much of you know and you never know you never know what anyone's things are yeah, you never do. And I think that's something that I love about 
living in a city right now for me is being, whereas I love Bend and Bend is a tremendously beautiful and incredible community, but living in a city and just being more, more like just around a really diverse set of individuals and more people um, just based on living in a city, you get to interact with a lot of different people and just see different people and people who are with such different yeah realities and it blows my mind and I love it and it inspires me like every day and I think through teaching yoga obviously that's like a subset population that's seeking out yoga and that's privileged enough to you know buy a yoga class but I I mean the amount of different students I have who are doing different things with their world I have an amazing student who like is like um and owns a knitting website online and she's like a knitting phenom on Instagram, you know? And I have another student who's like the flautist for the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And just like, you just never, like everyone has such a story and everyone's dealing with just their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can interpret this any way you want, but what's in your backpack? Oh, you are so good. <laughs> <laughs> you are so good. Um, what's in my backpack? I have a lot over the course of my life. I've had like a very complicated relationship with my body. And I think it takes root in the fact that I was celiac growing up and didn't know I was celiac. So a lot of my childhood, I felt physically ill. Um, I would have like a lot of stomach upset every day. And it wasn't until I was in high school that I figured out about my celiac disease. And I think it just made me feel very um, disembodied. And so I think a lot of my path into yoga into running into reconnecting to my body into befriending myself has been like this healing work that I've been doing and so I think that's like really that's in my backpack and those those stories and those voices are still you know are still there and I still have to be in dialogue with them I was thinking back to how in first grade I by accident not by accident okay I'm gonna rewind I cut off half of my hair when my mom was out to dinner one night um, my dad was home and obviously just didn't notice that I cut off half my hair. And I think it was like more accident- accidental that like I didn't plan, but I probably just got carried away. I don't remember doing it. Um, and after that time, um, my mom came home and then we had to go get all of my hair cut so it could be even. And people thought I was a boy and people would think I was my brother's brother, my brother's twin brother. And like that story stole my backpack like feeling like masculine and maybe like not looking like a woman and not feeling feminine enough and like holding those wounds. And so I think like we all have things in our backpack that can take root really young, but then I, it's learning how to be in dialogue with those stories and not let them define us or destroy us. Mm -hmm. So I'd say my relationship to my body and to myself and the tumultuous nature of it is in my backpack for sure. What's something that you have felt really proud of in the last year? Oh, something I felt really proud of. I don't know. Is this bad that it's taking me a long time to think about it? (laughs) No. (laughs) What's something I've been proud of? I think I've been proud of, and I spoke to this earlier, but in times um, when I was really, like, last summer when I was really struggling with my mental health and depression and then, you know, coming into the fall, still struggling with my depression, I was able to start getting a job and working even when I felt like pretty incapable of it. And I think we're a lot more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And 
just being proud of my ability, even when I at times was so low and dealing with suicidal thoughts and just like in the darkest times, I also was able to try to, you know, take myself out of it by being in service of others. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I'm proud of like my, yeah, my ability to be like, okay, Julia, like one side of you just wants to hide from the world, but the other side of you like needs to step up. Um, and leaning into that side of myself more and more. And then through that, like I've been able to step into that. So something that, you know, you said you've, I think at the beginning of the conversation, this idea of, you know, mind, body, spirit connection is something that you, all of your work is related to. Talk to me about the spirit part of it. What's your, what does that relationship look like for you right now? Like when you think mind, body, spirit connection, you know, we talked about mind, we talked about body a lot. What's the spirit piece of, for you right now? Mm. Yeah, I think the spirit's kind of the, the spirit's everywhere, everything, all the time. So, for me, um, I think it, well to back up. I think each person's relationship to their spirituality or to religion or to their spirit is so different and diverse and beautiful. And for some people, it's they don't feel like they have a relationship to it, and that's totally fine too. So I, I'm just speaking from my lived experiences myself, and by no means do I see it as like the truth. It's just my truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, my truth of my spirituality, my connection to spirit is that it's ever present and that it's guiding my life and my minutes and everyone I connect with all the time. So I see it in the word of God, but God is also to me just like the one is just this universal force of like love and truth and peace that's within all of us. That's our birthright. And so connecting to spirit, you spoke about your tattoo being this check-in, that line for you. I recently got a tattoo and it's in the Sanskrit. Um, it's Sanskrit for satya, which means truth. And that's my spirit check. So, you know, that's that's like a part of my spirituality is looking at that tattoo a bajillion times a day and asking like, am I living in my truth? Am I living in alignment with myself? Am I living in alignment with like my highest being and treating those around me like as if they're like my family? Mm-hmm. So I think my spirituality is more just like a way of living and of relating to the world. Less of like, I don't worship at a certain altar. Um, And I don't feel at this point, like I'm connected to one religion. I feel very influenced by a lot of different religions and a lot of different spiritual practices and teachers. But for me, it's been a journey of like kind of, yeah, synthesizing and figure out what resonates. And Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I studied religion in college and I grew up in a um, Catholic family. And so I've definitely studied religion in a more formal way. And I've had a lot of different experiences and mental retreats and meditation things. And, but it's, for me, it's not, it's not dogmatic. It's like ever present. Mm -hmm. So this idea, this question of like checking in with your truth and, you know, am I being my highest self, all of that. I feel like I often struggle with sort of the line between where that's helpful and then when that becomes too much pressure that like con like that it, the constantly like well could i be doing better and is this my I mean, kind of like the the sort of control freaky self-help nature of it is that something that ever comes up for you or like where's sort of the line between striving for that and then also en- like enoughness if that's mm, a word that's such a beautiful balance you're speaking to I think for me, I know inherently I go overboard. I just know that about myself, that I'm like always doing too much. So when I ask myself, am I living my truth? It usually means I'm, I'm like, I need to chill out. So yeah. it's, I mostly know for me and like my, 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 as like 
with my complexities, like I know that if I'm asking myself and I'm living in my truth, it's usually like, are you taking care of yourself? Are you slowing down enough? Are you like, are you actually backing off from the things? So for me with like the enoughness is I always feel like I always have that like pull to do more and more and more, but I know that about myself. And so when I'm asking myself, am I living in my truth? It's almost like the sweetest voice inside of myself, like the mother inside of myself, the nurturing, loving part of myself, not the part who's like, oh, you can be better. You can be this or that or you could spend more time it's nor it's like no the time that's just like totally loving and it's like are you really taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. yeah I love that I love again like wanting to know the nitty-gritty details of things for people right that that question of uh, the being your highest self best self however you're going to phrase it like I think people can understand that but it's so interesting to me to hear specifically what that looks like for you right that it's usually about every person it would be totally different like I think because we're all we're all created so different and so like my brother for example um he is someone who really struggles with procrastination so I think like for him the dialogue about maybe like getting things done would look differently whereas for me it's like no Julia go to sleep don't worry about it mm-hmm. like you already did enough whereas for him I'd be like maybe you should stay up this extra hour so you like you know so it's like everyone's just their inner dialogue is different based on their set of cards not saying one is better than the other they're just different mm-hmm Yeah, I mean, well, and I I think that there are certain like reoccurring things for each person that come up over and over again, like the lesson that you have to learn and relearn in like so many different ways, right? And it sounds like for you, it's slowing down, taking on less, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. What do you think is your kind of lesson that you feel like you've learned a couple of times or you're learning over and over? Um. My go-to answer for this, which doesn't necessarily make it true or not true, is around control that I want to control all the things. But I think I've, and I think that that is true, but I think that's surface level true because the, the question then is, well, why do we want to control all the things, right? And it's like, we, I think for me, it's that I want to control all the things because I want to shield myself from pain or mistakes or people not liking me or, you know, that if, if you can micromanage how everything goes and like, if you only do things like take things on that, you know, are going to be well-received like that's, it's a very, you like live in a safe bubble, right? That it's like a very self-protection thing. So I think, I think it's, it's about control, but I think the more honest answer is that it's about ego that, you know, that I, any, like if, if I were to any, what am I trying to say? That any situation in which I'm like being most me and being like my best self, it's when I have managed to put the brunt of ego aside, which I find to be very difficult. I know I'm not alone in that, you know, but to be able to get outside of myself and what does this mean about me? What are people thinking about me? What are just all of that kind of performance element of things? And, you know, with that, I think comes a lot of control. Like if you're, if you're so concerned with, you know, your ego related things, then, um, that tends to manifest in trying to control things so as to get a certain outcome. Does that make sense? Completely, completely. And I think a lot of in the creative work you're doing, I feel like you have been able to release control. Like you've put yourself out there and been very vulnerable and it's like people are going to take it how they're going to take it. Yeah. And I feel like it hasn't stopped you from sharing your creative work. I mean, I think yes and no, right? Like I think I think it's easy from the outside to to say that because I do share a lot of things and create a lot of things, but again, going back to this Mary Oliver, you know, b- poetry line like are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? I only you can know, each person can know 
you know, yes. if, if they're holding back more than they want yes. to be holding back. And again, that's to back to what we were saying about privacy. Like, I think privacy is great, is very undervalued. It's fine, even as a proponent of like real talk and honesty, that there's stuff that like, yo, we are not going to talk about it. Like, that's mine or it belongs to me and someone else. Or like, you don't have to just like spill your guts all the time. Right. But I think that there is, you know, different layers of of sharing things. I talked about this last season with Laura McCowan, which was one of my favorite episodes of all time about the the difference between telling the truth about your life and telling the truth about your life as long as it will be well received and those aren't the same. Yes. Like it's not the same, yes. right? And like she's an incredible writer and and you know, one of the things she was talking about about the memoir that she's working on is um like you don't have to spoon-feed people like the message. Like just tell people what happened to you. Or like, just say what happened. And that applies in a writing context. But I've been thinking about that a lot more, too. Like, I don't have to manipulate it into something. I don't have to make it mean something. Like, this is just what's true for me. This is my lived experience, you know. And I don't know, that's less ego-y than trying to appear a certain way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People love the realness of it. Like, at the end of the day, that's what's going to unite us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so in addition to the yoga that you're teaching, well, actually, you know what I wanted to ask you, I know that it's like local to where you're living. But if people that do live in that area want to come and take your classes, is there like, do you have a centralized place where people can find out about that? Well, I would be touched first off, I would love to have um, I would love to have anyone um, who's listening to this and please come introduce yourself if you do come to class. <laughs> I've had a good amount of podcast listeners come to class and that's been awesome. But um, on my website, I still have runningonom.com and it's um, slash uh, runningonom.com slash yoga. And that has my whole yoga teaching schedule. But then in the yoga world, um, I usually sub a lot. So that means like a teacher friend of mine is like away for vacation or whatever. So I sub like a bajillion classes as well a week. So any of the studios I teach at, if they're close to you, check out the websites. You can see it on my website. And I would be honored to have anyone in class. Um, that would be so much fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I'll definitely put links to that in the show notes too. Um, so anything else that's that's on your mind right now? Like anything that you're, I don't know, what are you, what are you thinking about? Like what do you find your mind keep going, like that your mind keeps going back to these days? Oh. Mm. What does my mind keep on going back to these days? Well, I feel like my mind's pretty, f- like, I feel like most of my day, I feel as if I'm in the flow state, honestly. Maybe that sounds like a huge exaggeration, kind of, but I feel like, I mean, I'm teaching sometimes four to five classes a day, you know, including I teach privately to people. And then if I'm driving, I'm commuting to class, I'm thinking about the classes. And then when I'm with the people I love, I'm just trying to be present and show up for them. So I feel like I'm in the flow. And then I usually try to have every day my own type of movement. And so I feel as if like my mind is usually just trying to be really present for what I'm doing in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's like a part of my spiritual practice is I feel like less, um, I don't listen to the news. I don't read the news. I'm not listening to podcasts anymore. Um, I do listen to music a lot, but whatever I'm doing, I'm just trying to like be in it. Like today I was biking to teach a yoga student at his house and just some of the funny things I biked by and people and cars and houses. And yeah, that's kind of, I feel like where my mind is, is just really trying to enjoy the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, something else that I I feel like almost that I'm like jealous of your ability for that, which I, of course I know you work on it all the time, but um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that like definitely fits under the heading of easier said than done for a lot of folks. 
Yeah, and it's scary. Like, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't ever bring my phone with me if I'm going out on a walk. If I, like, or the... Or if I'm going out on a run or something, it's like, I really just want to be with myself. I don't want to be in the place. I don't want to be with the people around me and nature and be in communion and dialogue with that. Like, it drives me crazy that people listen to headphones when they're on bikes, especially in the city around here, because it's so dangerous biking already. Um, And you have to have all your senses, you know? So I think for me, it's just a continual practice of, like, just trying to enjoy the present. Mm Mm-hmm. So not watching the, not really consuming the news, not really listening to podcasts anymore. Is there any input that you are taking in, like whether it's reading or watching something, or is there any sort of conscious input in your life right now? (laughs) Um, I'm laughing because my family, it drives them crazy that I don't read the news and that I don't keep up with the news. Um, And they think it's like really irresponsible of me. Um, I love them dearly, but we have pretty different lifestyles. And so it's just, I'm laughing because I had this conversation recent, recently with my father about like, what is my input? You know, um, as far as I do read, not a ton. Um, I do read input. I just feel like there's so much input in my day to day. Cause I'm like interacting with hundreds of people every day. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I'm like taking classes or I'm, you know, I'm reading. I mean, I do read every day. I don't read like for an hour, but I read for, you know, at least 20 to 30 minutes most days. Um, So I think, yeah, but my input usually feels with my surroundings. That's where I feel happiest. I don't feel happiest with input like from a screen. I don't own a TV. I don't, I literally couldn't tell you like one popular TV show that's happening right now. I haven't seen a movie in months. I love it. I, love, I mean, I, I could not be more different. So I think it's, it's. I mean, one of the things that I always love about spending time with you in general, and that I always used to feel when we did, um, you know, collaborations like this is obviously we have a lot of similar values, right? And we like to discuss all the things, of course, but we're so different that it always makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And like, I realize also, I mean, everyone's we're all like, we're all really, but you and I are like in this way, very, very different. Oh my God. Because yeah. I, I admire, like when I look on your website and I look at your reading list, like I'm not going to lie, a part of me gets a little jealous. I'm and like, that's how I feel about everything you just said. So there you go. The grass is always a little bit greener. Because <laughs> okay, I was like, I wish I could be as cool as Nicole and like oh just God. be so current. And like, you're so current with everything and you're so passionate about it. And I feel like it like informs just the way you think and you're, yeah, so brilliant and like on point. I'm like, wow, like I wish I could have a little bit of that. <laughs> but for me, that's just not my truth right now. Like I feel more inspired by just consuming the world around me. Yeah. In real but I think there's something that's really interesting about even this, what we're talking about as a conversation that any path that you choose at any given time, first of all, it doesn't have to be the path forever. It doesn't have to be the circumstances forever. You know, like you mentioned before, sort of the ebbing and flowing of things, which I think is very true and very undervalued, but also that there's upsides and downsides to everything, right? To like, there's definitely times where I'm consuming way too much, especially news, especially these days, right? And like too much input or not like sometimes feeling like physically unable to connect with my surroundings in the way that you just mentioned. So it's, it's, it's always, I don't know, I think it's important to acknowledge that any choice that we've, that we make, obviously we're getting something from it, but that there's always, there's like the path not chosen, right. Or the path we're not taking that also is appealing. Yes. Yes. Always. And it's, and it's cool to also like experiment too, 
you know, to, I feel like you've done that with like going off social media or taking breaks from certain things or being like, you know, I'm going to spend these couple days doing this, but it's cool to experiment to be like, okay, what, what would it be like for me every day to take an hour to read a book that I'm really interested in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also funny though, as we make changes, you know, and you mentioned before following your intuition, not being afraid to you know, make a change, even if that's hard, even if people don't agree with it. It's always interesting to me to hear about what people's through lines are. Like reading is kind of an interesting one for me. Like that's, it's pretty much always been my favorite activity, whether like the genre of things that I'm reading might change, but it's always one of my favorite things. And so I'm curious for you, what do you have a, like a through line of something that really has been constant for you over the years, even as other things have changed? I think I've always loved walking. Seriously. I've always loved walking to places since I was, I resisted getting my license until a year and a half ago because I just loved walking places. Mm. I love being in that kind of transition from space to pace. I love walking. I love being outside. And as a kid, it was never like in an athletic way. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go hike this mountain. It was just like, Oh, I'm going to walk to like my, the gap down, you know, in Boston or whatever. I'm going to walk home after I bought like, this cool new bra and I'm 13 you know I still have boobs <laughs> you know like that was like always fun like walking was just an adventure always yeah and so I think that's when a through line for me is like this love of adventure that but self-propelled adventures yeah I um, love that. that you've created for yourself and it can be many like getting that new bra or you know I want to go like last weekend I walked around my neighborhood and there was a street that I'd never been down I'd been wanting to go down it. And so I finally went down it. It was like the most exciting thing. Um, and discovering these houses and trying to imagine like what these people's lives are who live in them. And they're all so cute and have their own personalities. So for me, I think it's always been just being outside and being an exploration. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is a lovely place to start to wrap up. And as you know, of course, the way that we end these is with community questions. So nine questions that the Patreon community, which obviously you're a part of, so you probably saw some of the questions that people put up, but um, the awesome folks who fund the podcast, the questions that they want me to ask all eight guests this season. So some random questions if you are down for that. I'm down, but I'm really nervous because I didn't, I didn't check. And <laughs> this is like totally, I'm so excited, but I'm also nervous. That's okay. So bring it well, on. There's no right answers, right? Whatever comes up first is the answer. Um, <laughs> so there's so much focus on morning routines, but I would love for you to share, or our community would love for you to share what your evenings look like. How do you typically spend your evenings? Well, lately I've been teaching till really late. So I teach almost like every night of the week. Um, whether I'm subbing or I'm assisting or I end up taking class or something, but I'm usually like in the yoga studio most evenings. So I get home sometimes at eight, sometimes at nine or nine 30. Um, and I usually will have eaten. I don't like eating dinner late, like super late. Cause I find it just makes it harder for me to sleep. Um, but so I'll usually have tried to have dinner at some point, like brought a dinner with me to the studio or something by the time that I get home. So by the time I get home, I can just start to unwind. So evening time for me, um, getting ready or getting ready for bed. I, you know, check out from technology. I put my phone on air, airplane mode about like 30 minutes before I go to sleep. Um, I love foam rolling. It's like one of my guilty pleasures. Um, and I love journaling. I journal, um, I might read it during that time. Yeah, evenings are just a time to reflect, to take stock, to slow down. 
And then I'm usually super tired because I've been up since like 5.30 or 6. So I'm just Mm -hmm. ready to go to sleep. What do you most want to be known for? Mm. It's funny. The word that just came to my mind was just like living a life of love. Or excuse me, the statement, the phrase. Yeah. Like I want to be known for like living a life that was like led by love and like spread love in the world and helps people connect to like loving themselves and loving one another in turn. Well, you are already doing that. So I love it. <laughs> That's great. Um, what's the last thing that made you feel totally awestruck? A moment maybe that like stopped you in your tracks, left you at a loss for words, but in a great way. Oh my gosh, this morning, my brother texted me. I almost started crying. Um, my brother, I've been vegan for 10 years. And for me with my veganism, it's not something that I um, am super vocal about. Like I don't identify as a vegan is one of the main identifiers for me. My family's not vegan. My brother texted me telling me, he wrote, hey, Jules, with a Z, mind you. And he's the only one who calls me Jules with a Z. And he was like, I'm thinking of going vegan, dot, dot, dot. And I literally just like screamed and I text back, what the what? <laughs> what the what? So that was pretty awestruck because my brother's someone who eats me at least twice a day, loves his dairy, has been very, very critical of my diet, like my entire life and my veganism. So that was just <laughs> hit me hard, but exciting. That's amazing. You never know how your your choices are going to then wind up down the line impacting someone close to you, right? No, but it wasn't my choice. He watched a documentary. Talk about consuming and the power of like being impacted by what we consume. He watched a documentary that like really shook him and really resonated with some of the health problems he's having right now. Um, so I was just so stoked. And then he asked me for more documentaries to watch. And so I looked some up to send him and I'm, I couldn't be more excited. That's awesome. I I told him it was the best thing I've heard thus far in 2017. (laughs) It really is. I mean, the person I love the most is like wanting to take ownership of their health. Like, hell yeah. Totally. So if you were given an unlimited or a large amount of money to try and fix one problem in the world, which problem would you choose and what's something that you would do? Oh boy. Right? Such a good question. Um, For me, I think this kind of relates to one of the reasons why I don't watch the news is I feel like the work that I've been called to do in the world is like in my community and is more in real time. Whereas I do think some people like the work they're meant to do is abroad and internationally on a global scale. And so when I think about making a change or putting my money towards something, I would want it to be towards something that was like in my life um, and in my communities. And I think... Obviously, I'm really passionate about yoga and mindfulness, and I think it's a really powerful agent for change. So I would say probably integrating some kind of mindfulness curriculum into the public schools nationwide into the U.S., putting money towards that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. What's the best gift that you've ever received? Oh, that's such a sweet question. The best gift I've ever received. Hmm. I mean, like, just friendship, like, from people, like, friendship. Like, are you talking about, like, a little, a, like, a tangible gift? It or? can be, you can interpret these questions however you want. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind was friendship. I love it. I mean, yeah, I'm just, I mean, you and 
so many other people have just given me such incredible friendship and mentorship. Like I think of you as a friend, but I also think of you as a mentor. You've taught me so much about being a strong woman and activist and warrior. And without all my people, I would not be who I am. Oh, I don't even know what to say to that. It's so lovely. Um, thank you. The next question, what's one habit that you have been successful at adopting over the past few years? Mm, successful at adopting? I'm usually someone who's like needs to chill out with my habits. Yeah, like my, right? <laughs> my, my doctor in high school was like, Julia, I think you're drinking too much water. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He literally said that to me. Um, so I feel like I'm someone who usually needs to like chill out with the habits, but successful at breaking. Oh, okay. Yeah, do that. No, I was like, wait, did you say successful at starting or breaking? Uh, well, just successful at, at adopting, but I mean, with it could be successful at breaking adopting. anything. Well, it just depends on how you spin it. Right. Um, Hmm. That's such a, I, oh my gosh, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like for me, ritual is a very, um, ritual is a very big part of my life and ritual comes fairly easily to me and habits and those kinds of things come more easily, but something in adopting a ritual, maybe just like making sure every time I take time to be outside every day, mm-hmm. like, Every single day of my life in the past, whatever, even if it's like eating my lunch outside or just walking outside, but just making sure every day I'm outside for 10 minutes at least mm-hmm. has been like something that I've made sure is a part of my life. Yeah. What would you say is one of your biggest fears? Leeches. <laughs> I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but it was not that. <laughs> <laughs> is, so- this, is this grounded in anything? Like, did you have like a that bad is- leech yes. experience? <laughs> had a bad leech experience <laughs> how does one have a bad leech experience or like well, have a leech experience in general I was in Maine when I was a child with my best friend Lily and our families and we were swimming in this like lake area and one of our other friends had gotten a leech the day before and so like the word was out there was leeches in this part of the lake and but she promised me and our parents promised me I wouldn't get a leech and I remember feeling something slimy on my ankle and looking down and there was a leech and I just like screamed and Lily's dad came over and took the leech off my ankle and threw it back in the water. And then I got leech again, like two years later in the same area. Um, and I just find them really scary and vicious and ugly and gross. And as you can tell, I have a lot of strong emotions towards leeches. <laughs> oh, I guess, look, I'm, you, Spanish was your first language. You're terrified of leeches. Look at these things I, I did not know about you before this conversation. <laughs> Oh my God, so funny. And they come, like, I used to have a reoccurring nightmare about them as a kid after this experience. I don't know, but probably some psychologist would, like, analyze, like, what is it about a leech, like, sucking your blood that, like, really, like, you know, got to my core? I don't know. Very some, Something for you to explore in therapy. There you go. Right? Um, <laughs> so uh, the next question about books. Um, are there any books that you'd say have had a really big impact on you or that you recommend or reread often? I think I shared this in Real Talk Reflections, but one of my favorite childhood books is something I reread a lot, and it's called Star Girl by Jerry Spinelli. And it's something that I've reread almost every year since I first read it in fifth grade. Um, and I think the book I probably resonated with Star Girl, and that's why I loved it. It was like 
I could see myself in her. I think oftentimes that's why we love stories is because we, we write our stories on the stories and we can resonate with people. Um, and Stargirl was just one of those people who was a little bit of an odd duck and did her own thing and just people didn't totally understand her. Yet she was really happy being the way she was. And she wore long dresses to school when no one else did. And she had a pet rat um, in the book. And it's just an extremely beautifully written story on socially some of the challenges she faced um, being a little bit of a different, different than the norm. And I think, I mean, I think most people at the end of the day feel like they're, like they're different than everyone else. I think that's just the human condition. But I've always felt that way. Mm-hmm. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take. What would you love for people to do? To send someone a text who they haven't talked to in a while or someone they have talked to in a while and just express their gratitude for them. I love that. So simple, but so, I don't know, like that sometimes we need like a prompt for things like that. Yeah. It's One good. of my best friends from college, like texted me out of the blue last week and she, just the text said, hey, Jules, I love you. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. And she had one of those moments where she, you know, I think she was feeling, and this happens to me too, is like, I'll think about you or I'll think about other people. And we don't sometimes like follow through with that yeah. because we then are like, oh, then it's going to have to be a long conversation. But what about just, you know, telling the person like, I love you. Yeah. You're awesome. I love it. So what's the, oh, as I drop a pen here, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Um, If you have a favorite way to connect or how can people find out more about what you're doing? I know that you're not on a lot of internet things, but is there a good way? Yeah. So now I'm on Instagram and I'm enjoying being back on Instagram and being on there. So I started a new Instagram because they deleted my old Instagram. So it's running on OM, which was the name of my podcast and kind of the house to my yoga teaching online. So running on home. And then on my website, you can contact me there running on home. Would love to hear from anyone, everyone. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. I know we have talked for a long time about how much I want to have you on the show. And I mean, obviously people who listened to, um, our series on your podcast, you know, whack last year and who listened to my five-year soberversary post that I was so honored that you interviewed me for. You have just been such a big part of this podcast in general. And it was so nice, even, you know, when we were both doing podcasts at the same time, like to have essentially like a colleague, right? Like some, like some of the actual conversations we would have about just podcasting in general were really, really helpful for me. So it felt, I don't know, sort of full circle for me to have you as the guest for my 100th episode. So thank you so much. Nicole, thank you. It's such an honor to be on this 100th episode. And I honestly have no doubt there's going to be 100 more for your podcast. And it's only going to continue to grow and reach and touch people. And I just feel really honored to have you as a soul sister on the path. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi. So we're going to do some rapid-fire questions. I'm going to get to know some stuff about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tell me how you usually spend the first hour of your day. 
Well, I would love to say that I get up and I do yoga and I take very relaxing time getting ready, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm actually a morning person and I end up just um, trying to get to work as fast as possible so I don't have to deal with traffic or lots of people. So I typically get up and get out the door within the first hour and go to work. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. No, it's, it's always a funny question too, because it's like people think, oh, here's what I like sort of wish that I would say, but that's not yeah. always doesn't mean that that's a good fit for you, right? Like how you yeah. spend your morning, like you know yourself best. I love it. Well, on the weekends, I actually do. I, I do spend my time getting up and ready and I have a cup of tea and I relax and my husband sleeps in. So I get, it's my morning. And if he, for some reason, gets up early, then I'm, I'm like totally annoyed with him. Like you're interrupting <laughs> my time. <laughs> This is my quiet morning. Go away. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny, you know, my husband gets up earlier than I do, no matter how early I get up. So that's that is not my experience. Um, tell me, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Uh, I, I'm really obsessed with juicing at the moment. Um, I kind of got on this kick. We go to Kauai every year for our anniversary. And uh, last year, last October, when we went, I spent all my, quote, fun money on uh, going to this place called Kauai Juice Company. And I went there basically every day for either juice or kombucha. And I finally started to inquire more about it. And I thought, I could do this at home. This makes me happy. And so we invested in a really good juicer. And that right now is what I'm totally obsessed with right now. I love it. to juice. Okay, so do you have a favorite? What's your favorite juice combo? Uh, right now, it's uh, watermelon, pineapple, and mint. Okay, it's that like sounds amazing. Huh. Yeah, it's like summer in a glass. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Also, it's funny you mentioned Hawaii. So I've never been to Hawaii at all, and that's the place that everyone tells me that I should go. So it sounds like you echo that t- to go there. <laughs> yes, we um, like I said, we got we actually got married there, and um, we bought a timeshare at the. When we did, and we ended up, we just go back every year for our anniversary. It kind of forces us to celebrate and to get away. That sounds so nice, man. Yeah. Okay, now I'm like fantasizing about doing that. All right, <laughs> sorry. Coming back to the conversation, um, what's the strangest or most random job you've ever had? Hmm. Well, before I became like an adult, I guess you could say, I uh, I was an animal caretaker for the university when I was in college. Um, and it was always centered around animals. So even like when I was 13, my mom got me this job doing bathing dogs, which was totally gross. <laughs> <laughs> but and in each instance, I, t- I typically got bit by some animal, which kind of like ended it. Like I wanted to be a vet. And so my mom thought if she got me all these jobs, but as soon as I got bit by something, I was done. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's <laughs> like, I, I think I, I would be the same. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. And um, ironically, I'm in IT now, so clearly that didn't stick at all. <laughs> it's like the opposite. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you're not getting bit, so. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> if you have a free afternoon all to yourself, what's your favorite way to spend it? Oh, gosh. Actually, I, I think going on bike rides. Um, right now I'm training for a century ride, and so I really love just going out for a long ride by myself especially if the sun is out. I live in the Northwest, so it's not always out. So to me, that's the one time where I can really unplug and just focus on the beauty of the Northwest and soak in some sun. Yeah, I know. I'm very grateful that it's sunny time right now. Yeah. (laughs) 
Finally. Um, so the last question, what's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Money. <laughs> that seems to be the reoccurring answer. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah. It, it just, in my career, I found that um, a lot of people that I work with, uh, there's like a huge range of how, what people make and how they got to where they are. It's like, well, I mean, I think we all want to make a lot of money because it means that we can have more things, which isn't necessarily a good thing, which I, I feel like I'm contradicting myself, but you know, being able to have a lot of money means you have a lot more opportunities to do stuff. And so I think that's what, like, I just wish people would be a little bit more open on find, you know, talking about like how money, how much money they have, how do they save money? How do they manage their money? That sort of thing. I know this it's so even just on the outros this season, like that's definitely the most common answer. It's been the most common answer in like different surveys in our Patreon community of, you know, things people want to hear more about for whatever reason, like this is the thing. So I don't know, mm-hmm. there, there has to be some interesting ways for us, like as a community to talk about it more and to just sort of like peel back whatever the weird like shame curtain is around money. So I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with it. I want to talk about it all the time. So totally. <laughs> Well, I have a side hustle myself. And so just trying to find out like how people, you know, start their own businesses and that sort of thing to get money uh, and to make more money that that to me is fascinating at the moment. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm also really interested too in like, the reality of the situation versus like how people are trying to make the situation appear, right? Like it might seem that someone's really successful, but are they or it might seem that they're not, but they are. And how do you define success? And just to sort of like talk about, I'm always really interested when people are willing to put like hard numbers to things, right? Like I had this much debt, or it cost this much, or this is what my mortgage is, or this is how much I save every month. Not even like as a comparison thing, but just I'm interested, like I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, meaning that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible, since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what's been your favorite thing since joining. Uh, I decided to support because you basically asked us to. Um, (laughs) That's a great answer. Well, I do a lot of fundraising, you know, for nonprofits and stuff for some of the stuff that I do. And one of the things that they teach us is like, uh, you have to go out and ask for money to, to do these, make these fundraising goals. And oftentimes they're like, all you have to do is just ask. I mean, people can say no, but, you know, some people actually set aside money to do that, you know? And so if you don't ask, you don't get any money. And I feel like, you know, I really enjoy listening to your podcast and I'm like, well, if you're asking me to help support it, like, how can I be a part of that too? And so I'm happy to support you. And I, I think, um, so I live in two different areas. And so I do a lot of, um, traffic. I live South of, uh, Olympia, Washington. And then I also live in Seattle for work. And so traffic can be horrible. It's 70 miles, but sometimes it can take up to three hours to go one way. And so I listen to your podcast and it helps pass the time. It helps me not get road rage (laughs) (laughs) or being too concerned about how much time I'm spending in the car because I'm listening to you interviewing uh, fascinating people. And even like, there's been times where I'm like, Oh, I, I don't know that, you know, that topic really interests me or something, but I'll listen to it anyway. And I'm always interested at the end, like just listening to people's stories and how they do things. I just, I love it. It, it's, 
I've now subscribed to more podcasts because of you and bought more books and more um, uh, blogs to read. But I'm always fascinated by the people that you interview. Oh, well, all of that is so delightful for me to hear. It's interesting. That's feedback that I get a lot. People will say, you know, I thought X, Y, or Z topic or guest or thing like was absolutely not going to be of interest to me. And it wound up being my favorite one. Or, you know, I had never heard of this person and now I'm obsessed with them or whatever. And that always makes me happy. So because I'm I mean, clearly the people that I have on the show are on the show because I'm obsessed with them. So I'm always happy when other people feel the same way. Well, I think I found you because I was listening to another podcast, um, running on Ohm and listening to your story of um, walking uh, in the um, Pacific Crest Trail in Oregon like that, like really opened my eyes to a lot of different things. So I'm like, oh, I'll go follow you. And it was, it's been great. Yeah, I've had a lot of people come through, Julia. So it's uh, it's yeah. always fabulous. And I appreciate the support. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight-episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.